It's so exciting that so many people want to bring biomechanics into the wild, but it seems really tough to get high-quality measurements outside of the lab, such as in participants' homes. Yes, but hearing about the new Trigno Light portable EMG system from our sponsor, Delsys, definitely made me feel confident about going into someone's home and knowing that even in challenging environments, the sensors can still reliably transmit great quality data at up to 4,000 hertz. Makes biomechanics in the wild seem reachable. That's so awesome. It's even been used to collect EMG data of mountaineers right in the actual mountains. Whoa. Well, if you'd like a chance to win a brand new Trigno light system with two EMG sensors and do your own biomechanics in the wild, head over to delsis.com slash boom and enter the prize draw. (laughs) Y'all ready for this? Wilson's just doing that. Yeah, I There was. she goes. Here I go. There she goes. <laughs> you, can't you guys aren't ready song. for this. I, anytime, it's, it's just one of those things where you hear, are you, are you ready? And it's just like, that's, just, that's what happens in my brain. It's that song. Anytime someone says that. Is that the Six Flags song too? Oh, with the Peanut Man or, or the... The Little Bald the, Man. Yeah, I don't know. Not the Peanut Man, but the other man. So many... So many, <laughs> so many dancing characters with canes. It's hard to keep track. It's, oh yeah, that's what you. That's were going what for. linked them together. <laughs> was dancing with. Jiminy canes. Cricket also dances with a cane, so you're right. There's a lot. Yeah. From Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking because I just watched the latest Pinocchio, but I don't think Jiminy Cricket had a cane. There's a new Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's in, it's really good. It's live action. It took them like 15 years to make it. Yeah. How have I not heard you have to watch. This? You have to watch the Pinocchio. It's on Netflix. And you have to watch the 30-minute um, making of Pinocchio. Oh, my gosh. It's really good. Oh, my gosh. That's like the documentary about Schitt's Creek after you finish Schitt's Creek. Yes. I love it. Yeah. I'm here for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the artistic, um, the art, the artistry behind it. I didn't know you, you know? had so much passion for Pinocchio. I didn't either. <laughs> Well, you can't really know your passions until you try it, you know? I'm proud of you. This girl tries everything. <laughs> so, with that. With that. Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Melissa. And I'm Hannah. <laughs> and I'm Pinocchio. <laughs> I'm not okay. Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's It's time time for Boom. Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have biomechanics on our minds. Boom. 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 Wow, today... (laughs) Today, we have a great interview for you. If you can imagine it even topping this introduction, <laughs> we talked with Rafael Hyman Baptista, who is a professor at the Pontifical Catholic University of Rio Grande do Sul in Brazil, where he studies the biomechanics of gait in older adults. Yeah, it was cool to hear his experiences building his lab from the ground up, basically, and also his unique situation as in like a research slash industry park. Mm-hmm. at the university and building innovation entrepreneurship among the students in his lab and on a greater scale for the university as a whole as well. Yeah, and even for the community as well. Mm-hmm. So it was really awesome to hear his passion for that um, and, and the big role that innovation plays in, in his life and research. He also mentions how he was really inspired by Professor Walter Herzog's articles they were really important to him during his master's and PhD. So we also wanted to give a, sh- give a shout out to um, the Walter Herzog <laughs> episode, which we love despite, despite the terrible audio quality, terrible audio which is. I'm not going to go on a tangent about this time because I do it in about 25 other episodes. <laughs> I think this is the most referenced episode and because the worst quality yeah. episode. But yeah, he was awesome. So we wanted to just give a shout out to that one. Um and this interview was awesome, too. It was, so. yeah, it was great. But before we get started and let you hear this awesome interview, we want to mm-hmm. ask that if you enjoy Boom, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share Boom with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Share the Walter Herzog episode and talk about the audio quality. 
you want. If you want, yeah. Or do a little dance. Do a little dance. And just and just enjoy it. That that would also make me happy. It's true. <laughs> if you're not gonna <laughs> subscribe, rate or review, just doing a little dance. Like happier than you were after you watched Pinocchio? Yeah. Hear that, folks? Yeah, it would. All right, let's so make Melissa's twenty twenty Today we are talking with Rafael Hyman Baptista. Rafael is a professor in the School of Health and Life Sciences at the Pontifical Catholic University of Rio Grande do Sul in Brazil. He coordinates a laboratory of evaluation and research in physical activity, currently carrying out studies on biomechanics of gait in older adults. Thank you so much for being here with us today, and we would also love it if you could give the uh, Portuguese pronunciation of your university because uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't handle that great. one. You did great. <laughs> okay, so thank you for inviting me. In Portuguese, the name of my university is Pontifícia Universidade Católica do Rio Grande do Sul. Yeah, I feel like that's <laughs> what I said. It's a lot more beautiful. But... <laughs> Oh, okay, that's yeah. Yours was beautiful too. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you here today, and we'll start off with our first question. When did you first know that you wanted to be a biomechanist? English first, and then you can always add the Portuguese if you want. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm very excited too. Uh, for me, it's an honor to to be here. Well, it's funny because I started my career in exercise physiology, and then I was studying uh, sports physiology with uh, rowers, right, with athletes. And uh, one day I invite my girlfriend, at that time uh, she was my girlfriend, nowadays she is my wife, I invited her to, to come to the lab and to um, check what I was doing, the research that I was doing and, and the experiments and so on. And then I, sh I was showing all the equipments, the physiology equipments and saying, oh, look this, this is a gas analyzer. I, I can measure VO2 using this uh, or this is a lactate analyzer. I, I can collect blood and, and check the lactate during exercise. In the same experiment, there was a, a colleague of mine from, from biomechanics. She was measuring forces the, with a strain gauge in the, rower, in the rowing ergometer. And then my wife saw that device, the, the strain gauge, and she asked me, Rafael, what is this sensor here? And then I said, no, no, this is nothing. This is just a sensor for measuring forces. And, and she said, no, 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 this is important. This is what you should be, you should study. This is what you should be doing. <laughs> I realized that I was so in love with physiology that I was not considering the physics behind the movement, right? And uh, from that day on, I started to study biomechanics more carefully, and then I felt in love about biomechanics too. And then in my, in my PhD, I, I, I switched from physiology to biomechanics, and this is how everything started. Wow. I love, yeah, these stories are so awesome, and I feel like they always involve people, <laughs> Um that personal connection. And so you said you fell in love with biomechanics, but it sounds like you also fell in love with your girlfriend at the time and now wife. <laughs> and it's those questions that really, you know that it's something that's going to impact your future, right? Or if it's like those questions that really just hit in a different way that you keep thinking about and obsessing over and you're like, oh, wait, this is really a direction I need to move in or something I need to consider moving forward. And it's amazing those just sort of fleeting moments, you know, you're asked a, a million questions in a day, but it's just like those ones that really change the trajectory of your career in life that are so fascinating. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is very true because in the end of my master's, one day my, my supervisor talked to me and, and he said, well, Rafael, you, you have changed your career path 
from physiology to biomechanics, and this can open a lot of different doors for you. And then I asked, um, how, what are you talking about? Why do you think like this? And then he said, well, you know what? You was going to, to become a physiology professor, right? A physiologist. And now you can work with physiology and biomechanics as well. So you can apply for a position as biomechanics professor or a biomechanics, biomechanics researcher, but you can also apply as a physiology professor or something like that. And then I said, oh, yeah, maybe you are right. And years later, uh, turns out that he was right. <laughs> <laughs> But initially, were you you were a, a physical education teacher at one point, yeah, correct? Right. What was your trajectory there? How did you end up going from physical education to then now, you know, supervising dissertations in electrical engineering? Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm not supervising uh, in electrical engineering anymore. This was until last year or so, but during almost five, four years, I was doing that. I don't know in USA or in other countries, but here in Brazil, in physical education, in the undergrad course, right? We have um, a, a course about uh, human physiology, right? And then in the beginning of the physical education program, I was not that much into the, the program. I was just thinking, okay, I will do physical education and become a teacher and that's it. But then when I started the human physiology course, it was like, you know that speech from Steve Jobs in a Stanford graduation or something when he, say, when he said that um, at some point in your career, you, you look back and you see all the dots connecting. And then... Uh, when I was studying human physiology during my physical education undergrad program, right? It was something like that. I realized that's why I, I, I have chosen physical education. And then I had a, a very inspirational uh, professor. He was a very good teacher. And then I, I thought, oh my God, I want to be like this guy. I want to know human physiology so deeply like uh, he is able to, to teach us. And this was the moment when I decided that I want to be a, a professor and start doing research and this kind of thing. Yeah, I really love that story. I've, I've been reading a book on, on recognizing serendipitous moments in your life or moments of coincidence in your life and actually acting upon that. And as I'm hearing this, it just seems like you're really inspired person inspired especially by the people around you and then really taking that and then implementing it in your life and allowing that to shape your journey which is really cool to hear so thank you for sharing all of that with us and we would love to learn more now about what your current work is and in, in your research lab and what you're excited to be working on right now right so as I just mentioned, my my former master supervisor, he said, oh, one day biomechanics can open a lot of doors for you, right? One of the first doors that opened to me as a PhD and master supervisor was in an electroengineering graduate program, right? So this was a huge challenge because... As a health profession, right, it was very strange to me to, to be in an engineering program. I, I don't know nothing about um, computer science or how to process data, even uh, working with biomechanics. I always, and of course, because I, I came from physiology, right, when I, when I see biomechanics, I, I always see more the bio then the mechanics. And then um, I, I started working in this electroengineering program. And then after three or four years, I switched for biomedical gerontology program that we have here in my university. 
is a graduate program uh, related to the School of Medicine. So it's related to geriatrics and gerontology. And then I work uh, mostly with gait in older adults, right? Biomechanics of But I am also working in the dentistry program with uh, odontology, yeah, because I realized that the odontologists, they are interested in electromyography of masseter and temporal muscles, the muscles of the, of the mastigation, right? Mm-hmm. That, that help you chew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So in terms of research... A master's and PhD uh, supervising. Those are my main activities right now. Wow, that's awesome. Sounds like you're, yeah, you're doing a lot <laughs> in a lot of different areas. You know, it's, it's, it's great to see the breath. And I'm wondering a little bit, you're unique in that you are at a Catholic university. And I don't know if we've talked to many guests here that are professors at Catholic universities. So would you share a little bit about how that is influential in, in either your life or your work or how that influences your role? Here in Brazil, we have, let's say, um, three business models in, in universities, right? We have public universities that mostly are federal universities, right? And then those universities are for free for the students. And then in the other, on the other side, on the very other side, we have 100% uh, private universities here in Brazil. And then you have, of course, uh, to pay for everything. And those are uh, profit universities, right? The, the main focus, the, the business model is profit. And then you have something in the middle that we call communitary universities here in, here in Brazil. Those are non-profit universities. The students, they have to pay for the education, but uh, we have a lot of scholarships and programs to help people to have education. And um, this is an intermediary model of, of business, right? A business model in universities here in Brazil because my university is a non-profit university all the money that the university can make goes to research, scholarships, uh, or build um, infrastructure in the campus or something like that, or social programs, you know. So this is why, I mean, the, the, the Catholic model, right, is, is very related to this nonprofit and social aspect of education and nonprofit, right? So working in a Catholic university like um, PUC, we, we say here in Brazil just PUC, right? And there are several uh, PUCs in Brazil. We have the PUC from Rio Grande do Sul, that is the, the university where I work, but we have PUC in Rio de Janeiro, that I believe that is a Brazilian city you might have heard about, Rio de Janeiro, Carnival and everything, Cristo, Redentor, right? The Cristo, Jesus, Jesus Christ, that we have in Rio de Janeiro, right? So we have Puki in several cities of Brazil, and this is the model, you know, it's, it's Catholic, it's non-profit, it's, there is a very huge social commitment with education and so on. So it's very interesting to work in a university like this, especially in a country like Brazil, right? Right. Can you share a little bit more what you mean about that? Like a country like Brazil, are you speaking in that it's an economically developing country or um, yeah, and what it was like to sort of develop your lab in that environment? Well, I, I don't know what you heard about Brazil and what the listeners know about Brazil. Yeah, tell us your perspective. <laughs> a few years ago, People used to think that Brazil was a jungle, right? And we live with monkeys. And <laughs> I believe now things are different. I remember in the 90s, I think, when a very famous, at least internationally speaking, uh, heavy metal band uh, from Brazil, called Sepultura. <laughs> Do you know Sepultura? 
No, we'll, we'll have to add a link be, yeah. to them. <laughs> yeah. Are you a big heavy? Me- you're a big heavy metal fan, right? I, I think you should do that. Head, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> is a very famous Brazilian heavy metal band. And uh, when they started having success in the 90s, people used to think that, oh my God, you, you came from Brazil, you live in the jungle, you live with monkeys, right? Uh, of course, because we have the rainforest and all this thing. And um, of course, now things are different with internet and so on. People know much more about uh, Brazil. But uh, again, I don't know what you heard about Brazil, but Brazil is a huge country, huge, huge, huge continental country, right? Millions of people, but uh, it's a very poor country. I mean, we have huge contrast right we have very rich people on one one side one hand and very poor people on the other hand and of course we have middle class in the middle right trying to survive and um so it's very challenge challenging to to live in brazil have to face a lot of violence and uh, when I mean violence I'm talking about um, you can be with your car in a traffic light and then uh, someone can put a gun in your face and say get out of the car, I want your car or I want your iPhone so it's yeah, it's very difficult to, to live here so that was a, I was. This is what I was trying to say when I, when I when I was explaining the um, the Catholic model of universities and nonprofit and uh, a university that wants to share education, right? Because we we believe that by educating the population, we can develop our country, right? And my university is very focused on innovation as well, technology innovation and uh, entrepreneurship. So we believe that by innovating, we can also contribute to the development of the country, right? Well, and then putting this in context to, to set up a biomechanics lab that it's very expensive, right? And you have to take into account that... Um, since all the equipments are imported for us, right? Because Vicon is American, BTS, it's Italian, and so on, right? So everything we have to import, the, the taxes are very high in Brazil for importation. Uh, for instance, we have, I believe, that the most expensive iPhone in the world because the taxes are huge. So to have an iPhone here is very expensive because of the taxes, right? So it was very difficult in the beginning to start the laboratory. But the, the history behind the laboratory is very funny also because I started to put this laboratory together, let's say, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. And this was before Brazil faced a huge politics and economical crisis. You might have heard that some years ago we have an impeachment of our president. And this was the second impeachment that Brazil faced in his story of democracy. So this was before this impeachment of the president and uh, before a huge economic and, and political crisis that not only we, but our world suffered some years ago, right? Before the pandemics, that crisis that um, impacted USA too, right? And a lot of people without jobs, remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at that point, let's say six or seven years ago, my university had a, a grant, right? in which the researcher could apply to the grant. It was an internal grant from, from the university itself with money from the university. This non-profit right, uh, model that I just said. And then I had a colleague from the physical therapy and he said, oh, Rafael, 
I have this Italian guy from BTS Bioengineering, a company of biomechanics devices, and he wants me to sell devices, and I don't have money. I, I'm a biomechanicist. Are you interested? Do you, do you want to talk with him? And I said, well, I don't have money now as well, but uh, I love biomechanics, I love technology. Put me in contact with him, let me know about new technologies, right? And then I started to talk with this guy from, from BTS, and uh, he started to, to try to sell the devices to me, and he started to explain that, oh, in, in our company, uh, you can buy either a complete gate lab, or you can buy piece by piece and, and put your lab together and say, ah, this can be interesting. And then the university had this grant in which the researcher could uh, submit a proposal, a research proposal, to ask, let's say, 50,000 reais or, yeah, about 50,000 reais, that is um, about $10,000 or something like that. And then I, I, I said, okay, I will buy, let's say, one EMG device, right? And then I applied next year and I succeed buying, let's say, two force plates or something like that. And, and this was a grant in which you, you should justify that the, the equipment that you, are, you was buying could be used not only by you, but by other researchers as well, a sharing model, right, of, of... Your university or even across... Just the university, you know, in the, inside the university. So in the, the first yeah. grant, I, I have applied, let's say, with, physical therapy, with a physical therapy colleague and the other one with a um, colleague from engineering and so on. Mm -hmm. After three years in a row, uh, applying and succeeding in this grant, one day, Dean from the research office called me for a meeting. And the title of the wow. meeting invitation was Your Devices. And then, <laughs> oh my God, Houston, we have a problem, right? What have I done? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that and then I, I went to the meeting and this dean in, in his fancy office he looked at me and uh, looked at me and said ah, I can see here in, in your resume that three years ago you have applied and you bought a EMG device and I said, yeah, I said yes and uh, two years ago you have applied and you bought two first plates and I said yes, and I was like this, right? Oh my God, <laughs> racing, right? yeah. And then he said, "Why don't you set up a biomechanics lab?" And then I said, "Well, because of a full set biomechanics lab, it's very expensive. It's one million, two million reais, right? That is, I don't know, let's say mm. two hundred. I don't know even how to convert to dollars this amount of money, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, well, I don't know if this is so expensive, if you can prove that this laboratory will, good for, will be good for classes, research, and, uh, and if you can prove the impact in the graduation, in the graduate program and in the undergrad programs. Mm. And then he said, well... I will give you two op options. I will import this new device that you are asking and that's it. Or I will not import this device that you are asking this year. And uh, you go back to your office, you write a proposal, a full laboratory project showing that this mm -hmm. laboratory will be positive for research, for for classes, for the students and everything. And, mm -hmm. and of course, you will have to show that um, uh, professors from other fields will enjoy this, this laboratory as well. And then that was, I did, uh, I, I did this. I, I, I wrote the project, applied for a full biomechanics lab, and my university started to invest money to build this laboratory. Mm -hmm. But then in the middle of the project, 
when I was uh, investing the money to, to buy the force plates and everything, because when when this situation appeared, I said to, to the Italian guy from the devices, right? I said, well, I think we have a very good opportunity of business here. We can set up a full laboratory. So please advise it, advise me how how I can build a um, very good biomechanics lab. And he said, okay, so let's put eight force platforms and then you have a very huge sensorized floor and let's put 15 cameras and let's build a huge laboratory. But in the middle, the crisis appeared, right? We have a huge mm. crisis and then the money disappeared. Mm. And then I thought, oh my God, now I have a huge problem because I have eight force platforms and non-cameras, no, mm, no cameras. And then yeah. I realized, well, this was a very bad planning because it was better to have, let's say, four force plats, right? And some cameras instead of eight force platforms and no cameras at all. And uh, so I was very, very scared about that. And then uh, the years passed by and then there was a grant from the government for infrastructure and uh, laboratories. And then we apply for this grant and we succeed in having investments from the government because that was a good thing about a communitarian university like mine. We can apply for governmental funding also, like the public universities can do. And then uh, it was in the beginning of the pandemics that I was able to uh, buy the cameras and then complete all the setup of the laboratory. So currently we have eight force platforms, 10 kinematics cameras and um, two EMG devices and one inertial sensor. Wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think so many things stand out to me from that story. I think a big one being your perseverance mm -hmm. and your ability to seek opportunities and then lean into them and, and go for it. And, and I think this vision of a bigger picture too, and that your, your idea to or want to actually build a bigger biomechanics laboratory that can serve other laboratories as well. I think through this too, something that's been really striking and, and making me think a lot is that with your work in a biomechanics lab, you know, I think a lot of us are motivated to be in research, to be in biomechanics, to help people through our work. But it's been really interesting to hear how your work and your life is not only motivated by the impact of your research, but also how you're impacting the country and your community and how that influence motivates you to translate your research, to educate young people. And um, it's it's really fascinating to me to, to hear about, because I agree, I think, you know, education can really make a positive impact on the community, but, and, and you're, you're saying potentially decrease crime and things like that. And, and that's sort of like in parallel with your biomechanics lab, which other people can use now and, and how that's supporting the advancements of science and research and helping people in that way too. And it's really amazing to see those two different motivations come together. And I'm curious with that. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I wanted to kind of circle back to when you talked about this, this innovate innovation and entrepreneurship aspect that you're really excited about. And uh, you even said previously that you want to discover a unicorn <laughs> and assuming that you don't mean an actual <laughs> unicorn, which I would I would like to discover personally. <laughs> um, could you tell us more about what this means and why it's so important to you? You've shared a little bit about why that is so important to you, but if you could just tell us a little bit more about what that, that looks like. Yeah. Well, this is something new in my career, right? This is something that started, let's say, two years ago in the very beginning of the pandemics when I started to work here in my university in a position that we call innovation agent. So innovation agent is a professor in one of our schools, right? We have the medical 
school, mm. the law school, the business school. So each school, each school have an um, innovation agent, right? That is a professor that have the, the responsibility to promote innovation and uh, entrepreneurship activities. We have a, a tech park here with lot, a lot of startups and companies doing innovation and so on. So my, my job was to connect these two worlds, you know, the university, the, the laboratories, the schools, and the tech park, the startups, and all the programs that you, you find, right, in, in, the, in this startup environment, this ecosystem of innovation, right? And then I was in a, in a lecture or something from a professor, given by a professor from the Hebrew University of Israel, and she was saying that the agricultural, um, agriculture school of this university research from this school, they have discovered the cherry tomato. You know cherry tomato? Yeah, mm-hmm. they discovered yeah, it. Yeah, do you like cherry tomato in, in your salads? Yeah. Yeah, they're sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like these guys from this uh, university in Israel, they were the guys that discovered the how to genetically modify the tomato and have the cherry tomato, right? And they have a, a patent on this. And uh, it seems that, seems that uh, just the royalties, right, from this patent were enough to pay all the costs of the university. Wow. Wow. It's a successful patent. Yeah, a very <laughs> successful patent. And, and the professor said during the lecture, well, we are a bit worried right now because this patent will end in about five years. And then the, the royalties will end too, right? So we are working now and investing in our researchers to find the new cherry tomato. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like Not that. necessarily Instead of a unicorn, the unicorn, yeah. the cherry tomato. Yeah. Oh my God, this is so amazing. And, and this is so fascinating because right now, maybe there is a researcher in a, in a, in a lab in my university studying something that can be huge, can have a huge impact. And maybe someone can identify the, the business potential in this research and help the researcher to, to do this spin-off, right? To, to, to uh, move this research from the lab to the market and have something like a, a cherry tomato. And um, the innovation ecosystem they have this word, right, unicorn for companies, for startups that are sell by $1 billion or, or, or more, right? So if you have a company, let's say, I don't know, Netflix, right? And then let's say that Universal Studios bought Netflix by $1 billion or more. That, so this is a unicorn, a startup that, sold by one billion dollars or more and then uh, i started to became obsessed by this idea of helping my university and the researchers to find their cherry tomato or to find the unicorn right because if we can do that imagine the impact for the society for the economy the impact for our city or for our country right and of course in terms of sustainability for the university, because we are not a public university, so we are non-profit, but we have to be sustainable, right? Imagine a research that is able to pay all the, the, the bills. <laughs> so I'm curious how you go about so when you're when, for example, you're looking for companies that might have there might be or technologies that might there might be an opportunity or the potential for this so you're you're finding something that has a big impact but it's also feasible and sort of this 
it's just this right combination. It's the right time to, for this technology. Are those the types of things that you're looking for? Like, and in your life, like how, when you're saying you're kind of obsessed with this and, and looking for it, like, what does it look like to actually look for it? Do you meet with professors and who are coming out with new technology or? Yeah, what does it sort of look like in, in your life to be involved in this? That's right. That's a very good question. Well, like I said, this is very new, right, for me. And I uh, started uh, little by little two years ago. And then two months ago, I was invited to be the head of the innovation hub on health and life sciences in my university, right? So it was just two months ago that I started to work more seriously on that because then mm -hmm. they have changed my work regime. Now I have more hours to work on that. You know what I mean? I, I have a desk mm -hmm. in the tech park to work. So it's something new mm -hmm. in my life. So I'm trying to find a way to do that. I, I don't have... Bullet <laughs> yet or a correct answer to this. What I'm doing? Tons of meetings. My calendar is full of meetings, right? I am scheduling meetings with researchers, professors, with startups. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reach companies, big companies as well, right? Because Since I am starting, I am doing a lot of networking and trying to do the connections and matchmaking, you know, and try to find the, the way. One idea that came out is to have, let's say, a, a program that connects uh, companies or startups with the laboratories or with the hospitals in the that the let's say if you have a startup with a technology for the hospital then you can test your technology in the hospital but most of the times you will need a clinical validation a scientific validation of your technology in, in the environment of the hospital so you can have research with medical doctors and validate your technology or device and maybe this will help you to to transfer to the market. Another thing that we are doing, we did this last semester, a program called Hangar. Uh, this was a program where the main goal was transform your PhD thesis in a startup. So can you see some opportunity, some business opportunity in your PhD thesis, in your research? Then bring your to this program and will help you to transform your research in a startup. And I was very excited about this program, but a little bit uh, scared too, because I thought the researchers, they, they will not like this program. They, they want to publish papers. Why they will apply to a program aiming to transform their research in a startup, right? In the end of the day, we had 20 projects submitted and 10 final projects that uh, they saw how to transform their research in a business model. And they, we have a pitch day with all the presentations. And it was very interesting to see that we can do this spin-off from research to this, right? And this is something that probably is common for you guys in USA, but here in Brazil, is a bit new. Not all universities are doing this in Brazil right now. Yeah, it's not as... I think there are so many learnings from all of the things you've talked about. And it's it's not as common as you might think, uh, but I think it's becoming more common. And it's great to build these general frameworks that can be learned from by lots of other different universities, students, professors, um, countries. And it's so cool to see how much of a team player you are in so many areas of your life. You're connecting different people, you're connecting industry to academia, you're and being a team player, not just for your lab, your university, but your country, like Melissa was saying earlier, it's just been amazing to hear all of your stories and experiences. So thank you so much for sharing, for sharing all of those wonderful yeah, insights and learnings. And we usually ask about failure, but I think 
we covered sort of a fail with trying to set up your lab and getting eight force plates and then um, <laughs> having a very unexpected change in uh, the economic situation and then kind of having to learn from that. But um, it was amazing as Melissa said, to hear how you persevered. And so we'd like to kind of skip to our last question about what you're excited for, for the future of biomechanics. Uh, it could be for the future of innovation, the future of entrepreneurship, whatever future you're excited about. But we'd love to hear your insights on that. That's a very good question. Well, I think that I am very excited about the possibilities of the use of artificial intelligence, right, and machine learning mm. in biomechanics that, at least for me, it seems that are, are starting to appear in the last, let's say, few years, right? And uh, working in the, in the tech park, we have a lot of startups on artificial intelligence, right? They are using a lot intelligence or artificial, um, artificial intelligence to solve this problem in hospitals. Artificial intelligence solved this problem in telemedicine and so on, right? And I believe that this is very exciting because not only is the application of a cutting-edge technology, right, in biomechanics, that I believe is very disruptive, it's very innovate, innovative because... Normally, in the classic uh, biomechanics, what you have is you, you, you have a lab, you collect your data, your data you have the, the data processing, right, in MATLAB or so on, and then you have your stats, and that's, re- and that's it, right? And you have a paper, and, and that's it. But now, with artificial intelligence, the possibilities are much, much higher, right, to have tons of possibilities of use of artificial intelligence. And also by combining artificial intelligence, biomechanics and machine learning, you have a lot of opportunities on innovation and entrepreneurship as well, right? So I'm very excited about what are the the devices that can appear from now on? What are the, the companies that can be created from now on? by using all these new technologies, right? So, yeah, I believe this is what is exciting me right now. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I think those are some of the things that we're also really excited about. And it's clear, I think, from your work about that you're passionate about this and excited about this and see the real impact and possibilities with it. So thank you for sharing all of that. And we will add a link to, we have your um, academic profile that we can share with listeners. Are there any other ways that you would recommend if listeners want to connect with you or follow you in your work? Um, what is sort of the best way to do that? Well, I think people can follow my work by LinkedIn, right? You can find me in LinkedIn by putting, searching by Rafael Batista, right? Batista, the P Island, so it's Baptista. Yep. <laughs> I always wanted to say this in English because I am a very, I am a huge Tarantino fan. <laughs> there is the Django uh, movie, right, from Tarantino. Do you remember? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And uh, Django, when, when Django uh, is um, announcing himself, presenting himself, he say, "My name is Django. The D is silent." And I always want to say, <laughs> "My name is Batista. The P is silent." <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got it. We're going to share. Maybe that will be the title of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us too. I think it's just brought such an amazing new perspective to, I think, definitely to us and Mm -hmm. I'm sure our listeners as well. So we really appreciate you being on the show, taking the time to do that. And we're excited to stay connected and follow your work um, and see what this uh, inspiration to find a unicorn, uh, yes. what it what it leads to. We really hope that, uh, that we'll be we'll invest in your unicorn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We hope to keep up to date with that. So, thank you, and wish all the best for you in that. Thank you for inviting me. 
That was such a great interview. Thanks so much to Raphael for taking the time to be on Boom. We just love having these conversations. If you enjoyed having this conversation in your ears and learned something from the episode, (laughs) please make sure to let us know and share this episode with someone that you think would also enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. I did enjoy it, and I think I will share it with someone. But thank you all for listening. Thank you to the International Society of Biomechanics, the Stanford Neuromuscular Biomechanics Laboratory, Peter Washington, for all of the boom music. If you'd like to submit a research fail, person to interview, get involved, email us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at biomechanicsoom. And make sure to check out Boom on YouTube as well and our lovely Biomechanics on Our Minds website. Yes, which is Biomechanics which is just on Our Minds. Dot C-O-M. So hopefully we all know how – I actually actually have trouble spelling biomechanics. Not that – I mean, I know how to spell biomechanics, but every time I type it out, the I and the C are switched for some reason. I don't know if you ever hmm. have words that do that, but biomechanics is one of those for me. So, Wow. Yeah, so it's like kind of tricky because I do have to type it a lot, but – Yeah, that is tricky. <laughs> it sounds like a really tough – yeah, Top journey for you. Yeah, but I'll I will put the website in the show Nevertheless, notes. Nevertheless, so she you can just copy and paste it if you have the same issues as me. <laughs> anyway, I'm Hannah. <laughs> oh kidding. my god, she did it, everyone! <laughs> Guys, let it be noted on this day, Melissa did that. Melissa did that. <laughs> Melissa did that. Mark it in your calendars. What about Pinocchio? I'm Melissa. That's from last episode, but Pinocchio can still be here. Or three episodes that ago. Was from, that was from the beginning of this episode. No, that was from Brent Shaw's episode. No, we just did it. No, we didn't. I promise you we just did. It's in this one. <laughs> I promise you Oh, was. yeah, you're right. It just happened. I'm actually yeah, not I'm doing not- great right now. <laughs> Hannah got a concussion, but I'm suffering from short-term memory loss. I, honestly, you made me question myself <laughs> there. I said it with such conviction. You did. I was mm, like, wow. That's my bad. It's okay. Well, we are here. We and are Melissa and we're Hannah. We're here. Melissa and Hannah are here. <laughs> Let's end this thing before my brain explodes. <laughs> Biomechanics off our minds. minds. <laughs> was that okay? Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>